and welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, your guide and also your host with your questions for Father Spitzer on this special program. And of course, your questions came to us via email at spitzersuniversityw10.com for the future. Send them to that location. Check out Father Spitzer's websites, magiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, and purposefuluniverse.com. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe, always available on our EWTN on-demand page and on our YouTube channel. And just look at it, there's a plethora of programming there. More programs available for free than you can find anywhere. All your favorite shows, homilies from the Daily Mass, the Mass itself, our great children's programming, all free, always available. EWTN on-demand page, so check that out. And of course, our topic for today is taking your questions and throwing those at Father Spitzer and see what comes back at us. And with that, we'll turn to Father Spitzer and uh, welcome him once again. I ask him to kick things off with a prayer, if you would, Father. You bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry, our ability to serve in it, our good country and culture. We ask, Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit down upon us now to inspire, guide, and protect us so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. So let's get right into some questions here. Dear Father Spitzer, is it true that medical abortions using RU486 are reversible? How does that work? How much time does a woman have to save her pregnancy? Paul. Yes, uh, Paul, they are reversible, uh, but I do think you have to get to them in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And I think it really is um, a matter of days um, uh, before you have to, to, to do that. Uh, otherwise, it, it will be irreversible. So, um, but the, the exact number of days, I'm not sure of, but I will have to come back and get you that answer right. later. Right. Excellent. I know it is reversible, but the timing, yeah. as, you, as you indicated there. Next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, I am pro-life, uh, but can't understand why our church doesn't speak out on taking so many lives by guns. The church does everything to get life into the world, then nothing. Maybe if you showed more consideration for all life, and it's interesting how it says how you showed, uh, all life, more people would listen to your specifics on life. This is Peggy. So this is kind of, a, I, without describing it, mm -hmm. somewhat it's the standard argument about the fact that mm -hmm. we're, we're just one issue focused. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think there are a balance of rights there, uh, Peggy. Uh, I think, um, you know, there is uh, a right to bear arms and firearms in this country, so that uh, has to be balanced over against, of course, um, uh, people's, uh, uh, you know, um, rights to be safe in their own domiciles, etc. And some people actually associate the bearing of arms with the safety uh, within the domicile. But of course, uh, I, you're speaking, uh, you know, within the, you know, uh, Uvalde and all of the other right. various kinds of things that have happened of late. And uh, no doubt, uh, there has to be some uh, kinds of uh, special considerations mm -hmm. made. Uh, certainly, 
um, within the political uh, um, sphere, and and the church is not against any of those not uh, at all. Uh, safeguards. Um, quite the contrary. Mm -hmm. So I mean, uh, I, I don't think um, you know you you should be saying that the that the church is against them. I'm certainly not against them. I mean, I do think it should be determined by the political process mm -hmm. because these are prudential decisions. They're not moral. Uh, decisions, what kinds of safeguards should be in place, what kinds of um, uh, you know safety checks you have to have, what kinds of background checks you need to have, uh, whether or not um, automatic weapons mm -hmm. should be ruled out or not. Uh, these are not matters really of morality. Uh, in the case of abortion, it really is a matter uh, of morality. It really is a matter uh, you know, of um, the church's custody then uh, right. to speak about it. So, um, but the other uh, parts like which kinds of safeguards you're going to have and, and whether or not 18-year-olds uh, can purchase an automatic mm -hmm. weapon, those things are really not in the church's uh, purview. They're really prudential decisions that must be made by a political right. body. Uh, and and uh, we do have a political body that is trying to responsibly make those decisions. And uh, I don't think the church uh, really is going to come down right. um, on uh, any side of this kind of prudential decision, which is more uh, to be determined uh, by the political but I, body. But I, I do think... Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. But, but I think realistically, you'd probably say uh, if the church was erring in general, I'm not talking about an official church position, yeah. but in general what you'd hear from the Catholic uh, clergy would be uh, you know, more open to having restrictions on drugs, uh, oh, drugs yeah. not drugs, but uh, guns than anything Guns, else. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think they kind of yeah. missing the point on that particular one. But yeah, I, I know. Uh, we you know. have uh, pretty much always been uh, uh, in favor of, uh, you know, restrictions. But of course, no one in the Catholic right. Church is going to deny the, the right to bear arms in any kind of a legitimate right. way. So, uh, but you're right. I think that the Catholic Church has not been uh, certainly ag right. against uh, gun restrictions or gun um, um, well, I thought, know, uh, I, th I thought uh, the tell, to safety. some degree, in this thing was maybe if you showed more consideration for all life. So it seems like somebody was kind of talking to us. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, mm -hmm. somebody said recently uh, mm -hmm. with uh, the changes in the law having to do with abortion over the idea that uh, now Planned Parenthood has a lot more time to spend on all those other services they do for all those people that they've been bragging about for years. Yeah, right. Well, uh, that would be all life. To, yeah, exactly. So I'll just leave it at that. Right, absolutely. And, uh, uh, but I mean, uh, uh, honestly, I, I don't think I've ever said anything about gun restrictions previously, uh, pro or con. Absolutely. And uh, frankly, I, I'm... I certainly think we should definitely uh, consider, um, you know, restrictions or uh, especially you're dealing with automatic mm -hmm. weapons, large clips, right. and things I think, of that nature. Yeah. You, you really have to look at that prudentially. And, uh, right. and I think uh, prudence may say we need uh, to get that a little bit more tightened down. But it's, but it's interesting in some ways because... You know, you have these cities, Chicago, and especially we hear, you know, yeah. uh, and certainly New York, and all these these people killing each other. And it's amazing that the guns are killing everybody. Now, yeah, you can <laughs> argue about the idea yeah. that there may be some restrictions, and these are illegal guns for the most part that are being yeah. used anyway. But it allows yeah. people to not focus on the underlying issues of why this criminal activity is happening, right? Right. So, I mean, it's not the guns that are killing anybody uh, per se. It's the, the, 
the people who are using the guns uh, who are intentionally uh, pulling the trigger uh, of that gun. The gun is the instrument uh, right. uh, by which it's being done. But I think, you know, in the case of automatic weapons, uh, you know, especially in right. these cases, you know, I do think school safety and Absolutely. school security is really paramount, but I also think, you know, at some right. point, you know, we really do have to have much better background checks uh, into young people who are buying these automatic weapons. Right. Uh, there, we has, there has to be tightened. And we also have to look at the society that's breeding these kinds of things when years yeah. ago this didn't happen. That's right. No, I, I totally agree. And I, I don't think it happened because I don't think... Uh, um, you know the society had broken has bro had broken down to the point that it has now. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't believe that we have um, uh, much more um, uh, social anxiety out there uh, in the culture today than before, but we do. Yeah. Uh, we actually have far more social anxiety that's going on. And by the way, the depression rates are much higher uh, than they used to be. And uh, uh, even among young people, and I've talked about this on the show before, uh, you know, just in the, in tw this is pre-COVID now, mm -hmm. pre-COVID, uh, in just 10 years, uh, the suicide rate of young people went up, I believe, by 52 percent. Mm -hmm. um, the um, uh, depression and anxiety rates uh, for young people, uh, this would be under 21, went up by 63 percent. Mm -hmm. This is all pre-COVID. Uh, the substance abuse level, again, went up hugely. And interestingly, the homicide rate went up 22 percent among young people. Oh, homicides, that's exactly what we're talking about. So what is the cause of the social anxiety? There's two major factors, which of course mm -hmm. the mainstream media bury as, uh, as much as possible. But let's face facts, we know there's a direct correlation between non-religiosity and um, you know depression, anxiety, suicide, etc. We know uh, that there is a direct correlation. And when you have antisocial aggressivity, the next step is going to be homicide, right? Or some kind of violent crime. So I mean that's that's not not a big huge leap. So you can see that and, uh, that that uh, the loss of religion uh, in the culture, and we are losing. Uh, religious commitment in the culture, particularly among mm -hmm. the young. We've talked many times in this show about it. But the other thing that uh, is going on is traditional morality. Mm -hmm. Traditional morality, the loss of that has led to an increase uh, in, this, in depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and so forth. So there's direct correlations with huge increases, depression, anxiety, suicidality, etc. This happens, for example, if you live a homosexual lifestyle, uh, I've talked about these statistics mm -hmm. before, but uh, you, know, the, you know, the suicide, um, suicidality uh, contemplation rate uh, goes up to 40% of that population, seven times higher than the, than the, than the norm mm -hmm. uh, in the population. And then, of course, the same thing, depression is up 3.5 times in that, in that culture. Anxiety levels are up three times. Uh, you know, major psychiatric incidents, substance abuse uh, is up, you know, uh, 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 three and a half times. Um, and uh, major panic attacks right. are up five times. Hey, you know, there's something going wrong here. I mean, uh, so it's, it's, it's right. you know, the morality issues are, uh, and the religion issues are combining. But I think what's happened in our culture that I've, I've talked about before is when you have a decline in religion 
and you have a decline in traditional morality, what is generally taking its place is what I call level two ego comparative identity. Mm -hmm. Ego comparative identity has shot up in this culture. And of course, yeah. I don't have to tell you that, um, you know, the Instagram and mm -hmm. social Selfie media of various right. kinds, right, yeah. right? It just exacerbates ego comparative culture. Uh, and, and so you've got a perfect storm, big increase in ego comparative culture, decrease in religious commitment, decrease in traditional morality. All of these things have been correlated uh, to a, a huge increase in depression and anxiety. And that shows. I mean, in 10 years pre-COVID, uh, you know, you can see that the greater than ever before, suicide rates, depression, anxiety, et cetera, have gone straight through the ceiling, correlating almost perfectly with the decline of religion, the decline of traditional morality, and uh, right. the increase in ego comparative identity. And like you said, even pre-COVID, you're dealing with uh, post-COVID, you've got the isolation the virtual kind yeah. of world people are yeah. living in now, yeah. you know, yeah. which and disconnects them from other people. Uh, uh, you know, some of these video games, I'm just saying, for some people, it yeah. affects their empathy. Uh, and, you know, yep. so. Uh, no question about it. All these things are exacerbating it. And it's much higher now than it was pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not well, surprised in the least that you're seeing more of these kinds of terrible killings. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's to be expected because all of the, 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 the safeguards that were in place uh, for level three and level four identity, mm -hmm. that's to say contributive and, and transcendent or faith-based identity, right. All those safeguards are now gone, and ego comparative identity is becoming the sole, you know, factor in and of itself. And you wonder why identity politics has become so outrageous. Mm -hmm. It's an, just another brand of social ego comparative identity. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. So I mean, you know, uh, we're, I'm not surprised. Right. Uh, expect more. That's all right. I can tell you. Absolutely. The only way of reversing this is you've got to temper that ego comparative identity. And the only way of doing it, to my knowledge, is religious identity and contributive identity and a commitment to a morality uh, that is not purely subjectivist or emotivist. Right. Absolutely. Let me ask you one point, if I picked up right when you were talking about uh, from the gay lifestyle situation there. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the people would say, well, the reason they have so many issues emotionally in the gay community is not because of the gay, it's because of their op the oppression, because they weren't accepted. Now, as yeah. things have become more accepted, has that changed or not? No, it hasn't changed at all. By the way, I just got these figures from the archives of general psychiatry. So, I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. uh, you know, right. making them up. But the interesting thing was that in all of those studies, what they had done was went um, to very tolerant places uh, like um, Holland, the Netherlands, the Netherlands like that suicidal, like that. Uh, suicidal uh, contemplation statistic that came from a Netherlands study and the ones that I talked about with depression anxiety mm -hmm. were both US ones and Netherlands and New okay. Zealand studies and New Zealand and Netherlands are very tolerant uh, and it has not changed over the course of time so in other words as toleration increases we do not see a decrease uh, in suicidality, depression, anxiety, right. panic disorders, major psychiatric incidents, and substance abuse. Right. All of those things go up by factors of between um, two 
to um, five times in the case of right. suicidality, seven times. Isn't it interesting? It's the Netherlands who led the way and is leading the way in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, euthanasia, yeah, suicide, mm -hmm. assisted suicide, yeah. and all those kind of things like that too, right? Yeah, very enlightened, uh, quote right. unquote, uh, right. but not so enlightened. Right. I mean, uh, you can just see that along with it comes the depression, the anxiety, and of course, is it surprising then that they want physician-assisted mm. suicide? It's just the last final crowning blow mm. of the anxious, depressed, suicidal, substance-abusing, familial breakdown culture. Right. I mean, they, 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 they undermine traditional morality. They, they undermined, um, you know, religious identity. They told you, you know, that you're gonna find your happiness in autonomous freedom and ego-comparative identity. And at the end of the day, lo and behold, you've got so much depression and anxiety mm -hmm. out there, suddenly everybody wants to commit suicide, and so it becomes, you know, right. kind of an in-fad well, thing. Well, if, if you do everything and have everything they tell you is supposed to make you happy and you're not happy, you figure, well, that's it then, right? That's it, yeah, what's there to live for? Exactly, There's nothing perfect, else. That's yeah. What, that's well why said. you see so many young, <laughs> successful people who've achieved so much seemingly yeah. to, to be despairing so much when you would yeah. think, well, yeah. you should be thrilled. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely, but it's despair is the name of the game in our culture, right. and post-COVID, it's much higher than it's ever been uh, in the history of humankind. Amen. And but, we are supposedly happier, freer, <laughs> We are supposedly detaching ourselves from traditional morality and religion, and, and we're supposedly more liberated, and mm -hmm. we're supposedly get, uh, have more meaning and purpose in our lives. Hardly. Right. All the statistics. By the way, none of these things come from religious uh, surveys. Right. These all come from secular surveys, archives of general right. psychiatry, et cetera. That you just never hear about because they're not popular. You just don't hear about it. It's buried. Right. It's buried. You have to look for them. Right. Let's yeah. move on to some other topics through other questions. Dear Father Spitzer, I was raised mm -hmm. in various Protestant faiths but fell away. I have recently become interested in Catholicism, but I have a problem with the church's teaching on contraception. Does the church assume all those getting married are fit to be parents and should have as many children as possible? Leah. Well, Leah, I think what the church assumes is that uh, being open to having children is a good thing. And of course, the, the, you know, the church does talk about natural family planning, um, you know, as being the, uh, obviously the preferred uh, option. And uh, by the way, there's very good uh, survey data uh, that, you know, Lynn Acre mm -hmm. Quarterly publishes that shows that people who move in the direction of natural family planning, they are much more satisfied, have much more intimacy in their marriage, have much more emotional stability in their marriage, and are actually um, much more satisfied sexually as well as, um, you know, uh, emotional intimacy um, in their marriage uh, uh, by using NFP than by using artificial contraception. Right. So I think, you know, the statistics bear this out. So um, in any case, I will just, uh, um, you know, I, I have right. this new book coming out called The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, uh, which I am assured will be out in September. Mm -hmm. So when that book comes out, uh, just take a look at the section on um, birth control. And you can see, I took all those surveys uh, from Lineker, just put them in there 
um, and you can see them for yourself. And several of them, by the way, were not just from U.S. surveys and Lineker. They're also from international surveys. So I took some from Latin America and from a big international German uh, European survey on natural family planning versus artificial birth control. So, I mean, uh, you can uh, see them there. Right. Very good. Next up, similar. My f husband and I were married in the Catholic Church 10 years ago. At the time, he was a Methodist. Since then, he has converted to Catholicism. Did he receive all the graces of the sacrament when we married, when he converted, or do we need to do something further to fulfill the sacrament? Tracy. Well, gee, Tracy, I think you're now, uh, if he converted and he's receiving Holy Communion, um, uh, I, you don't, you, oh, you don't have to convalidate your marriage yeah, again. Yeah, I think that's what you're I see what you're asking. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to do that at all. Uh, so basically, uh, you, you're just fine uh, because, of course, there was uh, a provision made when you got married for that. Now, of course, uh, your marriage is, you can practice your religion together. And I'll just go back to that Thornton story study uh, that was done, you know, the recipro reciprocity between religion and marriage, you know, the, so that the, those who practice religion together, or as Father Payton would say, who pray together, right. actually they do have much more longevity in their marriage, much greater marital satisfaction, much greater rates of emotional intimacy than those who do not. Um, practice faith together. So that's vindicated in that long, that big Thornton study of the reciprocity between, so if you are uh, highly religious, it helps your marriage. And if you are happily married, it helps your joint practice of religion. So it's a reciprocal effect. Okay. So uh, yes, uh, that is a very uh, uh, true thing, but um, no, all you have to do is no. just practice your faith and it should uh, uh, start to actually burgeon just because of your joint uh, right. practicing of your faith. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, society demands we tolerate all kinds of abnormal behavior and treat it as if it was normal. If we tolerate sinful behavior and do nothing to stop it, are we guilty of that behavior? Dan. Well, no, Dan, you're not, because in our society, uh, as I take your question, mm. you're probably saying, you know, does, uh, should we be trying to get laws passed or something? Uh, uh, not to tolerate people. Well, the, the objective is, uh, of course, we want um, uh, people to choose for themselves, uh, you know, and we live in a, a society that's based on toleration of different opinions. So I don't think you can do anything in this society uh, mm -hmm. to be, as it were, more intolerant. It just won't work. Right, what we need desperately is much better education and that means when we're talking about catechesis, that we're really talking about these issues, right? What is the emotional impact of immoral behavior? What is the emotional impact of not practicing your religion? What is, uh, you know, the, the relational and marital impact of not practicing your religion and not uh, living your morality? And you can see every single time that the practice of traditional morality and religion leads to greater emotional health by far, greater relational health, greater marital health, and above all, greater spiritual health.
And when these, when these things synergize, there's a synergy between all of these things, right? Between marriage and religion, emotional health and religion, and religion and, and marriage and so forth. So all these things are all related mm -hmm. uh, to each other. And so you get a gigantic uh, synergistic boost uh, just by being uh, religious and uh, moral um, uh, together and by the way no surprise that you're going to measure on uh, you know uh, very uh, important instruments of ha that measure happiness uh, and also ones that measure depression and anxiety you're going to be much higher in happiness much lower in depression and anxiety and at the end of the day your spiritual uh, health is going to burgeon and that means you are going to leave a legacy in this world uh, of course in your family that's going to be a real big legacy but on top of that legacy you're going to leave a legacy way beyond yourself and your family uh, you're going to have real good effects in the world you're going to leave the world better off for your having lived on the other hand you do the ego comparative game and the, uh, the likeliness of your leaving a legacy uh, where the world's better off for your having lived are pretty small you're going your legacy is going to be mm -hmm. i was better than everybody else and uh that's you know look at me you know the right. ring is mine you know and that'll be the legacy right uh, sorry and nobody will come and visit you in the cemetery here. so yeah uh, yeah anyway. good old uh, mr scrooge yeah right exactly yeah <laughs> so uh let me get in one more question before we got to take our break coming up right. in a couple of minutes uh or maybe you'll whip through this dear father spritzer i was recently married my sister who is an atheist was disgusted that we chose the reading from ephesians that tells wives to be submissive to their husbands I told her to read the passage in its full context that husbands were to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but she was having none of that. She wished me well in my life of servitude and hasn't said much since. Anything I can say to her to show her she is wrong, Rebecca? Well, Rebecca, here is the problem. There is a disagreement between the two of you on the notion of freedom, and that is the problem. You have what's called a freedom for uh, uh, you know, viewpoint on freedom, where you think that commitment of yourself to another and serving one another, that surrender to the other and the surrender to God, you view that as a form of freedom. That's not just, you know, an expression of your choice. Mm -hmm. It enables you to freely choose higher goals and things of that nature, compassion, service of the other, noble goals, even self-sacrifice to the point of sacrificing your own life. So these are the things that, you know, th that's a, a kind of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. When you commit yourself to one another, you commit yourself to a kind of action, you commit yourself to ideals, and you even say, I'm so committed, I'll sacrifice myself for these things. That's a greater purpose than just my life on this earth because I believe mm -hmm. my life's going to continue in heaven. Now, that's your view of freedom. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, her view of freedom is self-determination and autonomy, mm -hmm. which is a very different kind of freedom. So she says to you, good luck on your life of servitude. The only thing you can say is, 
Gee whiz, if I had your view of freedom, why then I'd have your view of servitude. Mm. But I don't. I actually think that serving my spouse is a good thing. I think that serving my children is a good thing, just as I depend on them thinking that serving me is a good thing, and it's good before God, and it's a radical act of love, and it's a radical act of love that's pleasing to God and will endure in perpetuity and even in eternity in God's own heaven. I think that commitment is freedom. You think that commitment is servitude. And of course, you know, serving others, servitude, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you think that that's opposed to freedom. I think that serving others, loving others, giving up myself for others is freedom. And so we just have radically different notions of freedom, and nothing is going uh, to really get us around that until you come around to the fact that you can see some kind of uh, worth uh, in serving another human being. Serving is not servitude. Serving is love, and love is the ultimate form of liberation or freedom in the kingdom of God. So just have to, t and by the way, it's the ultimate source of joy as well. But you guys, you, you really do have a radical, uh, radically different viewpoint on freedom. Please don't give up your view of freedom. It's much, much better, Rebecca, uh, than your um, atheist sisters. Uh, you, you're, you're a level four person. Mm -hmm. uh, she's still hanging in there on level two. Okay. And with that, we're going to have to take a break because our Lord always talked okay. about being a servant, of course. And we always mm -hmm. hear about servant leadership in the church. So much more yep. ahead. Father Spitzer, you stay there, and you stay there as well, just taking a short break, and we'll be back with more of your questions for Father Spitzer's right here on Father Spitzer's Universe. Stay with us. Appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe, answering your questions on this particular program. So we'll turn to Father Spitzer, rejoin him, and hit him with another question. Dear Father Spitzer, my wife and I were married in the church over 25 years ago. We hit a rocky patch, ended up divorcing. I married someone else without seeking an annulment, but that marriage too ended in divorce, which is kind of typical of many divorces, unfortunately. Yeah. Eventually, my first wife and I got back together. We, we were remarried in a civil ceremony. What do we need to do so we can again receive the sacraments? Gary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gary, all you really need to do is go to your uh, local priest there uh, in your parish, and he can uh, just uh, establish a little process for convalidation mm -hmm. uh, to move you beyond uh, uh, those uh, th that uh, marriage uh, uh, that you're now uh, not in, uh, but uh, nevertheless, there just is a little procedure to uh, uh, to um, to deal with that marriage, and then um, it's actually very simple. Uh, you can just go through a convalidation process, and uh, you will be. Uh, uh, back uh, right. in the church, ready to receive sacraments. Uh, you could do it very, very quickly, actually, with him um, if you want to. So right. just contact your priest right away and get that taken care of. It's not going to be too hard for him to do. 
Because doesn't the church consider that they were never not married, or how does that? Yeah, work? that's right. The church yeah. doesn't consider that they were not married. You just right. have to uh, just get some procedural things done. Gotcha. Okay. And then, so it's very. That's why it's so simple. Okay. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, I will be entering college in the fall. My older brother fell away from his faith after he went away to college. What steps can I take to help me keep strong in my faith and resist the temptations I'll be sure to face? This will be my first time away from my home and family, Lily. Yeah, Lily, uh, that's a very good question. I mean, I think two things are really important. The first thing is, is uh, really try to get the, uh, uh, you know, the, sort of some of the intellectual arguments. Uh, get those grounded very well in your mind. And if I could just do a shameless ad for my own uh, uh, website, if you could just go to CredibleCatholic.com and just take a look at those seven essential modules. Um, just take a look at module number one and module number two and module number four and module number five. Just look at those modules and get your kind of intellectual arguments down for God, the soul, and Jesus. That's going to be really important mm -hmm. because uh, that's where, you know, a lot of people are going to say, yeah, there's no evidence for Jesus, or, oh, you know, there's no evidence for God, or, oh, no, scientists have disproved God, when in fact, of course, 66% of young mm -hmm. scientists are actually believers in God, and, and only 12.3% uh, uh, are, are atheists. You know, hey, wait a minute here, something is wrong. Uh, with this um, uh, with this picture right. so if you got your intellectual um, stuff down uh, very well that is a first thing the second thing that's really important and this is not more a preparation it's what to do when you get there mm -hmm. when you get to that campus find out one of two things number one is there a focus community there mm -hmm. that's a fellowship of Catholic University students see if there's a chapter there uh, that you can get associated with having a group there that's good or there's generally a University Catholic Center mm -hmm. um, you know like a Newman center that's at a lot of places. Now sometimes they won't have an actual priest at the Catholic Center there and there's only a Catholic club. Mm -hmm. But if you could uh, just try and link yourself up with the Catholic Center or the Catholic Club. And here's my real, uh, you know, this is going to pay off for you, Lily, if you do it. Get involved in the leadership of that center or that club. Because the more you try to serve other students and mm. help the priest who's coming to say the masses or try and get involved in setting up a reconciliation night with the kids or bringing over a lecture like yours truly, uh, you know, or somebody to come over there to talk or whatever. Second the shameless more you, plug. In a second the, shameless plug. No, plug no, I, I do enough of that already. Don't <laughs> need more lectures. But, uh, but uh, I would say that... Uh, that if if you do you know get involved in the leadership it's you will keep doing that for the rest of your life you will be solidified in your faith but just get those arguments down for god the soul and jesus so you don't get some cheap uh, um, you know uh, arguments thrown at you or you get your uh, faith maybe undercut or something or get into a situation where you're ridiculed and you don't have a comeback just get that down by going to CredibleCatholic.com and just go to Seven Essential Modules and look at one, two, four, and five. Mm -hmm. That should do the trick for you. Very good. Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, 
seems that it's fashionable to be something other than straight male or female. Several of my 14-year-old daughter's friends and classmates have come out as gay, lesbian, or non-binary, or probably some other version. What can I say to my daughter to encourage her to embrace the church's teaching regarding sexuality while still treating everyone the basic human dignity that they deserve? This is Michelle. You know, Michelle, uh, deep down inside, I think that most uh, girls today would like to be married. And I think they'd like to be in a very committed marriage. And I think they'd like to have children with a person that they really love and could have a whole life uh, with. And I think most uh, women today, they truly want emotional intimacy. Now, if that's what she wants, and just ask, just say, you know, hey, sit down. What is it you really want with your future relationships? Do you want to be married? Do you want to have that deep emotional intimacy? Do you want to eventually have some children of your own? Do you want someone who's going to love you over the course mm -hmm. of a lifetime? Well, let me tell you, if that's what you want, religious people, that's what you want is you want to marry. You don't want to marry a level one and level two guy. Mm -hmm. That is to say a materialist or an ego comparative person. So that's the first thing. Now, Father, you yeah, that's a not fair. We, we can improve, you know. It's been proven that we can improve. <laughs> well, that's right. And I'm taking that we really over, seriously. Over years, but, uh, we can improve. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we, that's right. But, uh, but the level three and the level four, that's what you're looking for, especially the level four. Just remember, the, um, the couple that prays together stays together. The, the couple that prays together has the most emotionally satisfying marriage. The couple that right. prays together has the most intimacy. The couple that prays together has a sense of meaning that's anchored beyond the relationship and something that they can shoot right. for, uh, you know, you know, for their eternity and their absolute meaning. So the so you really want right. to find somebody who is religiously right. oriented. This is going to make for your marriage. And like I just said, if you marry somebody, if you yourself maintain your religion and you marry somebody who is religious, the odds of you having very stable, good and satisfying marriage over the long term and and the odds of you being emotionally happy and having emotional health and the odds of you having the spiritual health that will give you the meaning and purpose in life and to leave that legacy which is really worthy of yourself, not just for your kids, though certainly that, but beyond your kids, if that's what you want for your a marriage, don't go right. playing around with this other identity stuff. Don't go playing around with having well, some ask, other uh, let me you know, ask you a question about that. Right, because uh, you know she kind of talks about it being fashionable, uh, and we've had conversations mm -hmm. over the years about you know, and the the number, the percentage who claim they are now on this quote unquote gender spectrum is like. Mm -hmm. astronomical compared to the way it would, would have been in the past. What's driving that in your mind? Oh, I think it's the drive to be accepted, to be in the elite, mm -hmm. to be different, to be accepted and loved for this kind of, uh, you know, uh, strange, uh, what I would call sexual identity uh, repositioning. Uh, which is kind of what I would call identity politics anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think all of these things, uh, if they're not genuine, you know, if this is not what you're looking for in your life, you know, you know yourself, you know, you know whether you're really on the spectrum or not. Do you really want to live the rest of your life on the spectrum? 
Do you really want to give up, uh, you know, a life with kids and emotional intimacy? Do you really want to give up a, a life where you can share your religious identity and your ideals and, and, and the legacy you want to leave in the culture with your husband? Do you really want to leave that all behind mm -hmm. uh, just so you can be on some kind of a new sexual identity spectrum? Mm -hmm. I mean, good grief. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's the, the sacrifice is enormous. And what do you get out of it? A little identity? push a little bit of oh wow welcome to the elitist gang right. the elitist gang doesn't care about you like your husband cares about you like your children would care about you the elitist gang isn't going to give you any emotional intimacy they'll, they'll be nice to you as long as you're kind of on the spectrum right and then right. what happens when you're not on the spectrum so you know the main thing to, to say is you know don't you know don't be worried about just being traditional I want to be a wife in a good marriage with good kids with a religious identity and I want just to have a satisfying marriage I want to enter into society in a very productive way where I can leave a good legacy on my own with my husband with my family with my church community I want to you know I want a good life mm -hmm. and that's a good life being considered an elitist for a fleeting few moments. Right. Who cares about this? It's nuts. Is that a it's function a of, the, sacrifice for of a the level of benefit. isolation that so many younger people feel today? I mean, is that part of it too, that everybody wants well, to stand out but be different at the same time? I think it's part of that, if you want my opinion, mm -hmm. the social media, you know, Right. Uh, culture. I, I think, you know, the need to stand out and to be different and to be recognized and right. so forth and so on, to have the unique profile uh, on Instagram or whatever it may be, right? right? Uh, I think that need is a short-term need right. uh, that people get into. But, you know, once you get into a family, you know, and you've got kids who who depend on you and once you enter into society where you're trying to be productive beyond getting recognized for being different you're really trying to make a difference to the culture around you to your community to your church mm -hmm. to your to the kingdom of god you're trying to really leave a legacy that's worth something you know i mean all this instagram you know, stuff is, is just image making, yeah. you know, as they tell Father, don't you want to be say, known as an internet influencer? I mean, that's yeah, really yeah. your, your goal <laughs> oh, yes, in life, It right? does so much more for culture. But I'll tell you something, um, you know, uh, the Italians have the right idea, you know, bella figura, ma uh, non c'è niente uh, dentro. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's nothing inside, you know, there's no substance there. You're, you're a good figure, right, good image. But uh, inside, where the substance is, there's nothing, you know. But then, ma dentro non c'è niente. Whitewashed sepulchers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whitewashed sepulcher. And you know, you know, that's that's all Instagram is. It's mm. just. It's just an image. It's just a facade. Don't define yourself in terms of that. Define yourself in terms of your substance, your values, your principles, your aspirations toward marriage, your aspirations toward your children, your aspirations toward the legacy you want to leave for the culture, for the community, for the kingdom of God, for your church. You know, that substance, all the rest of it is nonsense. Right. It's just bella figura. Absolutely. 
I couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, I couldn't have said that. So uh, here's, here's number 14. Dear Father Spitzer, during confession, I confessed a sin I know was a sin, as it was clearly stated in the catechism. A priest who is more of a liberal persuasion told me not to worry about it as it was not really a sin and I don't need to confess it. What should I do, Connie? Uh, Connie, I would probably say if it says in the catechism that it's a sin, confess it. Continue to confess it and just say, you know, Father, you know, it's in the catechism is a sin. I, I would like right. to continue to confess it. Thank you very much. And um, if you can, and, uh, get a different confessor. So. Maybe go to get a different confessor. Go to yeah. a different parish or somebody. Yeah, there's yeah. so many parishes uh, zooming around. And you can find out on the Internet now uh, anytime you want. You can just uh, go to the websites of the different parishes around mm -hmm. you and you can get all the confession times. So I think that's probably the best thing to do. Okay, another question. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, can a priest be held to the seal of confession for prior knowledge he may have? For example, a priest witnesses a robbery. Immediately after the robber, robber comes to and confesses to him. Does this prevent the priest from testifying in court as to what he witnessed? Jacob, I would think. Why would it? Yeah, it, it, well, actually, if he saw the, 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 right. um, uh, the thing. Um, but, you know, there is a... You know, since the guy divulged it in a confession, uh, it actually could affect really okay. um, his yeah his ability to disclose. And of course, uh, but why uh, couldn't so he I just Ed, why couldn't he just testify to what he saw prior to the confession? I saw this guy do a um, robbery. Yeah, who came you out? Could, right? Yes, you could say that. Right. Uh, you'd have to be very very careful. Okay. Uh, not to, to break the uh, seal, say, right? Yeah, and that, you know, um, boy, if you get in a cross-examination thing, you know, that could be a real, real hard thing well, to do. Well, all you'd be able so, to testify yeah. to was what I saw yeah, this man saw. do this. That's all I saw. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything yeah, else. you could do that. Right, I guess, You could right? do that. Otherwise, yeah. you should look and make sure if your witness is a priest, go to confess to him right away. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Okay, number yeah. uh, coming up one more time. Dear Father Spitzer, one of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish the sinner in this age of relativism and heightened sensitivity. How does one actually do that, or is it best to let sleeping dogs lie, Ethan? Uh, to uh, to talk uh, to let the relativistic sleeping dog lie. Well, the oh, idea is to... admonish the mm -hmm. sinner, but you know, in the world we live in today, you know, nobody wants to say anything to make anybody feel bad. I guess is really what they're yeah. saying. Yeah. No, but you can still speak about the sin, and you don't have to admonish the sinner. Uh, you could just say, you know, uh, well, the reason the church teaches that this is a sin is because this, that, or the other thing. You never have to use the term "you," and you never have to use the term "should." You just don't have to, mm -hmm. and or you should not. Uh, so you just don't have to use those uh, terms. And so uh, you can basically, uh, uh, you know, talk about things in a more rarefied, abstract mm -hmm. way. And uh, I think sometimes that is a, a way of doing it. I generally, um, like I said, if you get that book, uh, Shameless Advertising mm -hmm. again, uh, that book, um, uh, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, it's coming out in September. Uh, just get that, and boy, you can talk about, well, what are the emotional uh, health drawbacks of, you know, doing this or that mm -hmm. or the other thing. And I did try to t take a look at the drawbacks of emotional health in 12 major areas uh, where the church's teachings are considered controversial. Okay, very good. Uh, moving ahead. Dear Father Spitzer, I know the church teaches we are not to engage in practices such as scattering the ashes of deceased loved ones 
and then we mm -hmm. must show respect for the body with proper burial. Does mm -hmm. the church not contradict this teaching through the use of saints' relics, Lauren? Well, Lauren, uh, no, because a relic is supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a point of veneration. Uh, and so, you know, instead of uh, scattering things around, the, the church does say that those uh, relics, I mean, today we don't, uh, you know, go take huge parts of bodies and things like that and, and, and uh, distribute it. But, you know, even still, uh, you know, if you do have a little first-class relic mm -hmm. of, of somebody, um, you know, you can definitely, um, uh, you're showing reverence, uh, you know, to that person and you're asking for intercession of that saint mm -hmm. uh, through some part of him. So the church doesn't think uh, that that's disrespectful. The idea, though, of just uh, uh, throwing ashes around, I mean, that, right. that's, that's pretty much not respectful. So, I mean, you, you, you just right. have to say that uh, one is really trying to spread the good news, as it yeah. were, uh, to bring, you know, about, you know, the prayers of intercession through this person. The other is just, you know, an arbit sort of a, 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 an event of reckless abandon. Uh, right. That's all I could call it, you know, where okay. you just, you know, say, okay, here, here, here's the ashes. It doesn't mean that much to me. Right. But uh, no, all saints' relics are very, very, uh, they're meant uh, to be venerated. Right. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, I heard on a Catholic radio program that humans were created to replace the fallen angels. I've also heard that the angels fell because they refused to go along with God's plan to redeem man by becoming one of them. Are either of these two ideas actual church teaching, Julia? No, Julia, they are not. I know, we heard I that. I mean, uh, <laughs> I have no idea, but has nothing to do with Catholic doctrine right. on either score. So, and quite frankly, the first one, the idea that humans are going to replace <laughs> angels uh, sounds like complete, you know, nonsense and contrary, frankly, uh, to church teaching. And uh, so uh, please uh, ignore those things. Maybe they uh, were. They are not... Maybe they're, talking about, maybe they're talking about the baseball team, which is right nearby where you are. <laughs> uh, you know. Forgot about that. Yeah, it's yeah, right it's over a there. Right? Kind of angel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Here's another one. Dear Father Spitzer, do people suffering from anorexia or bulimia need spiritual deliverance or an exorcism? So many of them experience great difficulty combating this affliction, which, if not resolved, can result in death. It also causes much suffering for family members seeing their loved ones starving to death right in front of their eyes. Martha. No, Martha, it's not really a matter of an exorcism or a deliverance. Right. It really is a, a matter of uh, body image and it's a matter of the treatment of the body image as representation uh, of the self. And uh, for some reason, uh, that person, um, you know, has, you know, they have an association almost like obsessive compulsive disorder, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They have an, obs uh, uh, you know, almost an obsession that food is almost like a poison that will not only make them ugly, but make them worthless. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a thing of, you know, taking away not only uh, your sense of your identity, but um, the fact that eating uh, is actually taking away your dignity mm -hmm. and taking away your self-identity. Uh, as it were, and so this, unfortunately, it's it's an obsession, mm -hmm. uh, and and you know OCD is is very hard to break, right? Uh, and, and compulsions are are very hard to break, mm 
So, um, you know, it, it really does require a great deal of therapy and the reintroduction of food. It just, you can't reason with right. a person who has obsessive compulsive uh, disorder. And there are some it medications you that will, will help to there mitigate are, some of that, right? That is correct. There's medications and there's, you really do need therapy mm -hmm. that helps the person to reintroduce food, uh, you know, and, and to believe that that food uh, will be healthy for them uh, going forward. Right. But it, it really is an obsessive compulsive disorder. And it really, by the way, it, sometimes this image of thinness is, right. is way too blown out of proportion in the culture, which is what causes some of this uh, errant, um, uh, not thinking, uh, but uh, subconscious, uh, you know, association of right. food with utter self-destruction. Absolutely. Yeah. Another question, uh, dear Father Spitzer. Romans chapter 13 says, everyone should submit themselves to the governing authorities. What happens when the governing authorities are corrupt or pass bad laws such as permitting abortion? Uh, Jeff. Yeah, uh, Jeff, of course, we all have the right um, to uh, break the law uh, if there's an uh, if it's unjust and remember St. Augustine's really important principle an unjust law is no law at all so what he's saying there is you know if it's if it's an unjust law it's not a law and therefore you have no requirement to obey it because it has no force it has no um, uh, sanctioning power that you are responsible to so just uh, uh, remember St. Augustine our very famous saint there in the Catholic Church he put justice above the positive law so justice becomes the test for um, uh, you know uh, when a law is to be obeyed or not obeyed and you know civil disobedience actually came out of Augustine's uh, statement there. So now the main thing is what about abortion? Mm. Well abortion is cl clearly the, the, an injustice you know, right? to take a, somebody's life away before they've even seen the light of day. Uh, that's not um, very just and so you have absolutely no requirement at all uh, uh, to, to obey that kind of a law. It's the most unjust of laws and need not be obeyed. Of course, we have to exert civil disobedience or, as the Supreme Court has done, change the law. Right. One minute to go. Here's our last question. Uh, mm -hmm. From time to time, Father Spitzer, I have bad dreams. I don't know mm -hmm. if this is natural, a natural occurrence. Is it possible that the devil can influence our dreams? And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Anthony. Oh, Anthony, devil can certainly affect your dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, mark my words, the devil can induce nightmares. Mark, ma mark my words. I don't know what you mean by bad dreams, but I'm assuming it's, it's a nightmare. But if it's mm -hmm. like a morally bad dream, of course, <coughs> the devil <coughs> can influence those things. Are you morally responsible for having a bad dream? No, you are not. I mean, it's a dream. You are not responsible for it. Uh, this is not within the, the purview of your free actions and your free will. So do not worry about it at all, Anthony. And as a matter of fact, uh, pray to the Lord uh, as best you can uh, that those dreams will eventually go away. Mm -hmm. But uh, you, you might even be, Anthony, moving in the direction of a greater religious or spiritual commitment and then of course the devil will double down 
and uh, he will definitely try to influence you away from that greater commitment yeah. by nightmares or immoral dreams right. or he can convince you that you are really you know a rat uh, in yourself deep right. down what's the use anyway etc etc right so that's uh, don't pay no attention okay. to that man behind the curtain there you go there we go ending mm -hmm. off with an Oz reference and of course yeah. we have uh, Father, one of your bad dreams or nightmares was uh, Gonzaga going winless throughout the basketball season. So, with that being said, why don't we uh, ask you Close to give us your blessing out of the way out the door? Thanks. Absolutely. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all wisdom and consolation, the Lord of all goodness and morality, the Lord of love and unconditional love, give all of you the courage and the wisdom, the fortitude and the temperance to know not only how to live according to his love and his morality in your own lives, but influence the culture in very diplomatic and smart ways that will truly leave a legacy in the world that is, m makes life worth living. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, and with that quote from Bishop Fulton Sheen, we shall see you next time, Father Spitzer. <laughs> Always a pleasure, and don't forget Father's wonderful books available through Religious Catalog, as are some of the videos as well from his multiple series. Next week, we return to the topic from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Don't forget, we got bookmark each week on Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can check those out as well. And don't forget to join us right here next week at the intersection of faith and reason for another episode of Father Spitzer's Universe. We'll be looking for you. Thanks.